you'll open your Bibles with me once again to Ephesians. Ephesians 1, actually going to be toward the end of the chapter here. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 19a. Whenever you get an A or a B, that's like the first half or the second half. We can stand as we receive God's word today. Ephesians 1, 15 through 19a. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. May we hear God's word, may we be blessed by it, and may his power flow through it. Please have a seat. Recently, I was reading a, a list I think that all pastors make. It's a list of the strange suggestions that they get from churchgoers. Every pastor's got them, and they, they sometimes like to get together and go, you won't believe what the people said to me. Here's, a, here's some of my favorites. Weird things that congregation members said to their pastors. Pastor, we need a small group for cat lovers. Would that be popular at a church? I don't know. This is, my, this is one of my favorites. Pastor, we need to start attracting more normal people to our church. <laughs> to which the pastor then replied, so I guess you won't be coming back next Sunday? Or uh, here's a, here, Seriously, this is what, something somebody said. I developed cancer because you didn't preach from the King James Version of the Bible. You don't look at our side of the sanctuary when you preach enough. Got that. I'm sorry, I've I'm, I'm got to preach to the camera too. Pastors who don't wear suits and ties aren't saved. That's in the Bible. Might have to talk to Jesus about that. And then there's this one. Pastor, you need to change your voice. I'll get right on that. Of course, you have to be always really careful when you bring suggestions to pastors because you never know when we're going to turn around and talk to God about what you just said. You won't believe these people and, and what they just said to me. But actually, in all seriousness, a pastor's duty is not to gossip and complain about the people under his care. In fact, when we go to God, our duty is to lift you up, to praise uh, what God is doing and to pray on your behalf. And that's what we see here. That's exactly what Paul's doing at the end of Ephesians 1. He starts out Ephesians with a song, and then he goes into a prayer, and then a message. It's kind of like Ephesians is a bit of a church service here. And this song is really good. I want to examine his prayer this week and next week at the end of the first chapter because it has a lot to do with us. Like Paul is praying for the church, and we are the church, and he's praying for us. And it's this prayer from a pastor to us course, if Paul wanted to, he could no doubt list a whole ton of complaints about the people of the church, about the people of the Ephesians church. 
But have you noticed there's no end to the ways that we can criticize each other? Once you start, you can just keep on going. But I love that Paul doesn't do that here. He realizes that God is gentle and tender with us, that he is forgiving with us. And so that God expects us, the under-shepherds, to treat his flock that way too. So instead of going, God, I can't believe what this church is doing now, Paul praises God and he says, God, I want to thank you for two things the church is doing incredibly well. Two things that they're doing right. He prays this in Ephesians 1. He says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Paul is saying, you know what, guys, even though you're not perfect, you're all doing two things really well here. Two things really well. You're living out your faith in your lives, and you're loving each other, and it's so apparent. Everybody can see it. So thank you, God. Thank you for working to make this happen. And don't I overlook how Paul says here that the church is loving all the saints. That's a picture of a church that doesn't pick and choose who they want to love that week. Who's more, you know, is Hugh more love worthy than Dave? I don't know, but that, you know, we don't pick and choose. We say they're all worthy of that love. And this is a pretty rare church that they, Paul could just point to and say, they love everybody. That's a church, if you go to your first week, they love you. They don't love you because they know you. They love you because you're God's child. They don't pick and choose. And that's astounding. It's not something I think we see in most churches today. Pastor Jonathan Swift hit the nail on the head. When he observed, he said that sometimes we have just enough religion to make us hate each other, but not enough to love each other. Just enough religion to hate each other, not enough to love each other. The world is so broken. It's so full of self-serving people that hate comes so naturally to us. It's like that famous illustration of hell. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but where everybody's sitting around a table in hell, and there's a pot of food, a pot of stew in the middle, and everybody has a long spoon. And the idea here is that they can't feed themselves, but they could if they wanted to take that spoon, dip it into the stew, and feed the person across from them. If they work together, good things could happen. But of course, this is hell. And they're self-serving, they're self-loathing, and so they sit there, and everybody starves. That's the illustration there. But that's not what Paul's saying about this church. He said, if, that was, if this table was at church, everybody would be full, because everybody's so glad to serve each other, so glad to love each other. That's the picture of a church working well. And as I read that passage, I thought, how do we, as a church, want to be known? Do we want people to know us as a church that's solid in our faith and generous in our love? I think if people could point at Knox Church and say, those people, they don't have it all together, but they have those two things down pat, I think that would be just such a high compliment. And that starts by us being a cheerleader in the church and not a critic, being faithful and not a faker. Let's work on those things. And I, I say that to myself as well. 
Now, for a minute, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a pastor or a church planter or a missionary. You're somebody who has a bunch of people under your care. And you know that one of your big jobs is to pray for the people. That's, that's one of your two big roles. You pray for the people and you preach the word. Those two things are above everything else in our job description. And since you have to pray for the people, what do you pray about? What are the big things that you pray for the people? There's a lot of obvious answers that come to mind. You might pray that people would get along together. Dear Lord, please make them stop fighting. (laughs) Please make them stop gossiping. It's like what you pray for your kids at home. Just get along for one day, would you? Just one day. That's, that's sometimes a heartfelt prayer. Or you might pray that you know, people would stop sinning as much or that God would help them with the problems in their lives. But Paul right here in Ephesians 1 has his sights set on a higher prayer, on a higher request that I think just every pastor should be praying. When he's interceding for the people in verse 17, he asks God to help believers get to know God better. It says, God help them to get to know them better. Read this with me in verse 17. If you have the Bible open, Paul says this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's his whole prayer. He, uh, they know him better. Last year, we went in adult Sunday school, we went through a book called Knowing God. And in that book, he really stressed, J.I. Packer stressed, the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. Knowing about somebody means you just know a lot of things about them. You know a lot of facts and information about a person, but you can't really step up and say, I know them personally. I know a lot of facts about famous figures, but I don't think there's a single famous person in the world that I know and that knows me. But my wife is a person I know. I know her because we've had a lot of heart-to-heart conversations with each other. I know her because we've written letters back and forth to each other. I know her because we've lived together for over 15 years. I know her so well, she knows me so well, that we have that kind of weird telepathy where we can predict sometimes what each other's thinking or predict what they're going to do. Right now, I can predict something she's thinking right now, which is, please stop using me in a sermon illustration. (laughs) So I will. But that kind of knowing is what Paul desires for us to have with God, that we take that step from knowing about God to knowing God. And we can't get there on our own. The only way we can get there is with help, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, that's why Paul prays that there, that we need this, this intercession, this help to come in and give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit works to secure our faith, but that's not the only job, not the only role the Holy Spirit has, just to protect your faith, to put a seal on your life. In fact, in our day-to-day lives, one of the greatest roles that the Holy Spirit plays is to illuminate the Holy Scripture for us, to really open up the truth of the Bible so that we're not just reading it on a surface level, but we actually truly start to understand it. We start to know God. 
and the Spirit is perfect for this job. Because 1 Corinthians 2 says that no one knows the thoughts of God except who? The Spirit of God. So that's the best teacher of all. The Spirit of God who knows the thoughts of God can come and reveal the thoughts of God through Scripture to us. And that's Paul's prayer here. However, as a famous Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once said, it's easier to teach a tiger to become a vegetarian than it is to teach the gospel to somebody who has no faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have the Spirit, and the Spirit's not revealing the truth of the Bible to you. I've talked to a lot of people who don't have faith, and I, sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to a wall, trying to explain something to them that they don't quite get yet because they don't have the Spirit illuminating the truth of the Scriptures. You can actually see this process happen in the Gospels. The famous story in Luke 24 when Jesus meets these pilgrims on the road to Emmaus. He's talking with them for a while, and he's kind of teaching them the scriptures, and then this happens. Luke writes, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sights. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Remember, these were people who have read the Scriptures their whole life. But then, now they've had the Scripture open to them. And later in that same chapter, when Jesus goes to the apostles, it says, He opened their minds so that they could understand Scriptures. Those pilgrims and apostles knew a lot of facts about Jesus before then, but they didn't really know Him until the Spirit works through their lives to open the eyes of their hearts, to help them understand the scriptures that they have been told their whole lives. We cannot be content with merely knowing about God. That does not save us. That does not change us. That does not do a lick of anything in our lives until the Spirit comes in gives us faith and we can take that knowledge and truly start to know Him. So may our prayer be Paul's prayer when we pray, Dear Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I may know you more. In fact, the eyes of your heart, this is an interesting phrase. You're learning about your biology today. You go, I, I've seen some chest x-rays before. I've never seen little peepers on my heart. But this, these eyes of the heart that Paul talks about here in verse 18 is your spiritual sight. The sight you have to your spirit, to what's going on and a realm beyond what you can see physically. But as a sinner, you are born into this world with those spiritual eyes closed shut. They are tight because a sinner does not want to see the things of God and a sinner does not want to understand the things of God. So they will keep their eyes shut as tight as possible. And Paul's prayer is here, Lord, open their eyes. Open their eyes so that they can see and that they can know. And Paul goes on into this intercessory prayer. He says, God, not only open their eyes so that they'll know you, but open their eyes so that they will know the truth of the calling, of their calling. It's this calling he's saying back about in his doxology, that God has elected us 
and called us to something and for something. He has called us to salvation and for the good work that he prepared for us to do. We can't do that. We can't be called to salvation if our eyes are still shut. So he prays, open their eyes. He wants those inner lights to come on, for our eyes to be open wide, and for us to fully realize what it means to be called to God. And as he's trying to express this, he says we're called in regards to three things. We're called into regards to our hope, to riches, and to power. And really quick, let's look at that. The hope here, the biblical word hope, we need to get past what we say when we use hope in our day-to-day vernacular. Hope isn't a wish in the Bible. It's not like you're saying, man, I hope that that'll happen. When we say a hope in the Bible, it's you are latching on to a promise that you know for a fact will happen. And you are latching on to that promise because it's going to get you through the hard things in life. So Paul says, latch on to that hope that God's called you for, the, the future that God has prepared for you, because it will happen. That's the hope you're going to get through the day. There was a British man who was once about to marry a girl, and she was far above his social station in life. Of course, women are far, always far above. Men, we don't know why we ever deserve you, but this woman was so far above his social situation, and her parents were aghast when she announced their engagement. And they said to her, Hun, don't you know, do you even know where he came from? And she gave this immortal reply. She said, Mom and Dad, I don't know where he came from, but I'll tell you what, I know where he's going. That's what our hope is. God wants our inner eyes to be open so that we know where we're going. Because, brothers and sisters, we are going places. We are going to the best place ever. And we shouldn't have our eyes shut. We should be excited about that. And God has made this future for us because we're his treasured possession. We're his riches. We are God's riches. You are God's riches. You are valued more highly by God than the rest of his creation. So when you look at what God's made, when you look at the universe, realize God has placed you higher than everything else, and he values you, he enjoys you, he delights in you. And then Paul reassures believers that their calling is effectual and secure because it is done by the power of God. Now naturally you have your Greek versions of the New Testament open in front of you, So you see something really interesting going on here. That Paul uses four different Greek synonyms for the word power. He's stumbling over himself, trying to describe. Have you ever tried to describe something that's beyond your vocabulary? And you're just trying to like, I'm trying to use words, but I'm hitting limitations. That's what Paul's doing here. He's he's trying four different words to describe God's power he says not even that is enough. The powers here, the words here are dynamis, where we get the word dynamite. Dynamis means raw power, raw untapped power. And then there's energeia, which means an inner propulsion of power. And kratos, which is the power to conquer. And then he finally says iskis, 
which is a mighty or physical force. But he hits a limitation. He says, all that power, I can't even describe it, but brothers and sisters, all that power that God has is available to you. It's available to you if you just call on it. Because that power is in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you. And God's not going to hold back. So you have all of that power on a daily basis. When the eyes of our heart are open, we gain confidence and we gain excitement with our life with God when our eyes are open. Back in the early 1900s, Harry Ironside, who was going to become the future pastor of Moody Bible College, Harry went and visited a man on his deathbed. It's a great Christian man, and he was on his deathbed, and the man said, can I just share the Bible with you? This young pastor at the time said, absolutely. So the old man, the dying man, opened his Bible, and he just started reading passage after passage, and he started sharing truths about the Bible. And Harry said he just sat there, and after a while, he realized tears were just running down his cheeks. He was just in awe of what he was hearing. And when the man's voice finally gave out, and he closed his Bible, Harry looked at him, and he said, where did you get these things? Tell me what book I can read, what seminary I could go to that could explain things like this to me. And the dying man said, my, my dear friend, I learned these things kneeling on the floor of a mud hut in Ireland. When I would kneel there with the Bible open and I would pray to God and I would say, Lord, may the Spirit reveal the truths in this Bible to me. He says, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't get it from any other book than the Bible. That's what the Spirit does to you. He opens the eyes of your heart so that you may know him well. Let us pray for that today. Lord, please open the eyes of our heart. Open our eyes so that we can know the truth, so that we can know you, so that we can know our calling, that we can have this purpose in our life, that we won't be dithering around like the rest of the world without hope, without a future, without a clear goal that's driving us. But Lord, we will be able to see you. We'll be able to read the words of the Bible and the spirit inside of us will leap in excitement because we know these truths to be real. We know the promises that will be backed by your faithfulness. We read the gospel words and we see how much the Lord loves us, how much we're his treasured possessions. And Lord, it just fills us with such joy. I pray that our eyes would be open today. And Lord, if there are those right now hearing this, their eyes are not open, and they know it. They think the Bible is just a bunch of stories. They have not really felt you in their lives. Lord, please send the Spirit to them. Help instill a faith, grow that faith, so that they will turn to you and they will say, Lord, come into my life that I may know you. Lord, I pray this from the bottom of my heart. Amen.